Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Cheryl Carroll on with us. She is an ex-banking professional turned integrative health practitioner and health coach. She is passionate about supporting women in perimenopause and menopause to live with radiant energy, feel strong, and sexy in both mind and body. So welcome to the show today, Cheryl. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I, yeah, I would love to dive into kind of, um, what made you interested in perimenopause and, um, you know, is it, do you have your own story there and can you share a little bit about, you know, what brought you to that journey? Yeah. So yes, I did have my own experience of, um, I guess just being awakened to the fact that I was in perimenopause much earlier than I anticipated. So I guess just to kind of give you a bit of background was in banking my whole life never really passionate about it retrained as a personal trainer on maternity leave and then still felt there was that just wasn't my thing and then um one of my best friends was diagnosed with bowel cancer and passed away after three months um you know just as my daughter was born and this obviously it absolutely rocked my world and was a real catalyst for me to start to investigate, is there a way that we can actually take control of our own health? It just felt that it there was more than just leaving things to chance. Like there were signs that we probably missed with her. Um, so that really drove me to kind of challenge my own understanding of, of health and what healthy, and my mind went to nutrition. So, um, you know, I committed that if and when I had my next maternity leave, I would retrain and do something from a um, like a, a, a nutrition perspective. And that led me to the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, which was a beautiful, broad course, just really all about holistic health. Um, but I wanted to go deeper. So then I, I, I did another certification with a doctor in the US called Stephen Cabral, and he's brings together Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, functional medicine, and it's really about getting to the root cause of disease in the body. And, you know, I found my thing because that kind of married my auditing skill sets with my passion for health. And I felt so much more empowered that the health of my family and myself is not just left to chance. There's so much that we can do. And that kind of catapulted me into, you know, leaving banking and then focusing full time on, on health coaching. And, you know, I'd been doing it full time for for a few months and I realized I was attracting a lot of women who um, were in, you know, early 40s, mid mid 40s, just feeling very average, couldn't lose weight, just really all over the place. And it just so happened that one of my fellow practitioners had a Healy device and she wanted to um, get people to run the scans on them. So I sent her a picture of my face. And it scans your your body, and on the report out popped the word peri- menopause. Sorry, not perimenopause, menopause. And at that time, I was forty one, and that just absolutely shocked me. I was like, "What? Why is the word menopause coming up on my radar? Like, that's just you know, I thought that would happen to me. My mom went into menopause, you know, in like fifty one or something." It's like, that's just insane. So even though, you know, my health training certification was very in-depth and, you know, functional medicine, lab testing based and everything, there was a very small section on menopause. 
and nothing on perimenopause. So that led me to just going really deep into understanding the menopausal transition. And then this whole world of perimenopause came into my radar. And I realized that that's where I was. And, you know, the fact that, you know, towards the end of my banking career, you know, I was working a full-time job and three days a week, two kids that did not sleep. Like I had days where my son would wake up at three. I'd be up with them from three going into the office, full day of work, coming home, working at night. Like it just, you know, it just totally burnt me out. I became super anxious, couldn't sleep. Um, And then I realized that actually it was because I was in this new life phase where I was less resilient to stress. My progesterone was significantly impacted by the stress that I was under, you know, not as resilient as I was in the 30s. And, you know, then applied that to all of these women who had been coming to me. And, you know, that really birthed my passion on supporting women. Um, Because the other thing that was very clear to me was that when the word menopause popped up for me, that I had a negative association with it it made me have feelings of, oh my goodness, you know, I'm old, I'm on the shelf, you know, my best years are behind me, mm-hmm. all of these really negative things. So I had to sit with that. And through my education, it's just completely changed my perspective that actually this is the most beautiful phase for women to recapture themselves and their essence and figure out what they want to do in their lives if you really focus on optimizing your health like it's an incredible opportunity for transformation but it really means invest like turning back in and investing in yourself and that's really what the perimenopausal transition is all about yeah. so very long-winded answer <laughs> no that was great because I think that that's, I, I really want to kind of touch base on that a little bit more with the, you know, kind of that, um, I mean, the spiritual side of coming into the perimenopause menopausal years. And I think that can be a side and we haven't touched on that on the podcast yet of awakening to that, you know, inner wise woman and that like crone energy that's happening. But often again, as our society has told us, like I was watching a show that was from the nineties, um, home improvement. And the the mom on the show, like she was going through like menopause and she was just beside herself and like, oh my gosh, who am I? And going through this, you know, very much existential crisis. And I'm like, wow. I mean, even how we looked at it, I mean, I guess that's probably what, 30, 35 years ago. Um, You know, I think it feels like 10 years ago, the nineties do to me right now, but I'm like, that was a while ago. And I feel like we haven't necessarily gone a ton past that, you know, even in the media that we watched, like it's still kind of that. Ooh, let's not talk about that phase. Um, very much as it is, you know, when people are entering their bleeding years, very much like, uh, let's not talk too much about that. So can you touch base a little bit about how women um, who might be in those years can really embrace the years? And you talked about like tapping into that wise part of themselves. And it actually starts with the physical. So it starts with, you know, balancing the body. So, you know, whether you're in perimenopause, menopause, or a male or anybody, if you want to be able to listen to your body and listen to the cues that your body is giving you, whether it's, you know, is that the right job for me? Or, you know, is that the right food for my body? Does it serve me? 
you need your body to be in a state of balance. So the starting point is to get women to prioritize their health. And, you know, that actually means sometimes saying no to people. So what I find is boundaries and the lack of boundaries being a really big hurdle to women not being able to take the step to truly prioritizing themselves. You know, and I don't mean that's oh, being able to go to a, one yoga class a week, but it's really, you know, sometimes particularly now that, you know, COVID is a thing of the past for most, you know, for most people, things are super busy again. And, you know, prioritizing yourself may sometimes mean saying no to hosting that thing that you always host, even though it's an expectation of others, because that's adding an extra thing to your list that is causing you stress. So, you know, so that's really something to, to think about. And, you know, the health pillars that I'm sure the other guests in your show have spoken about to a certain extent is the nutrition side of things. So really dialing in your, your nutrition, what served us, you know, in our 20s and 30s, um, or maybe didn't even serve us then, but our bodies don't respond as badly to it. Like the nutrition is so important. The movement, it's really the Goldilocks of movement. So not too little, not too much of the right types of exercise. And then my third pillar, which is quite a broad pillar, is stress management. And that obviously covers the mental and emotional stress side of things, but also any any physical stresses. So that would be poor sleep, which you know is a real issue for women in perimenopause. And then toxins. You know, we live in a toxic soup of a world. If we have a high toxic load, our body just can't function properly and adds to our stress bucket. Any GI issues, gastrointestinal issues, creates a huge amount of disarray in our body. Anything else that kind of drives inflammation, you know, can add to the physical stress in, in our body. So those are really, you know, and we can dive into any of those if you want to, but those are, that's kind of where I, I want people to focus on first because it's tangible because it's through, it's often through the behavioral change where the mindset issues pop up and, you know, it's working on the mindset to kind of shift your mindset to the opportunity that presents because if somebody's feeling so crap and low energy is not liking their body where it is, then it's very difficult to support them to see the opportunity that awaits by really, you know, listening to what you need, um, you know, from a, you know, from a, from a holistic health perspective. Yeah. I want to really, I think, dive into that stress bucket. Cause I think that's, that's one that I'm seeing again, I think just the last couple of years stress, maybe I mean, we had this underlying stress that was there, but now we still have kind of that underlying stress that we haven't really dealt with. And then we're adding on, as you had talked about, all of the different things that we've added back onto our plates of like going to this event and now we're back and hosting holidays are coming up and all of these things are now, you know, popping back up. And then I think what tends to happen with a lot of the people that I see is we're like, I can't, like they have trouble with setting those boundaries or like we feel bad. We feel like we're letting people down. Um, We get kind of stuck in that stress habit loop. And then we don't realize, like, I've had many people who I tell them, like, I can't give you like a a workout. You should be doing yoga right now and restorative Mm -hmm. yoga because I'm like, the workouts are actually going to tax and stress your body. And so if you're already at a level eight out of 10, 
the workout's just going to tip you over to 10 out of 10 if we're doing these hardcore intense workouts, which then like when we think about, um, especially in these perimenopause, menopause years, we're like, yes, more, 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 I need to do more. But if we're already at our level 10 stress, we're throwing on these intense workouts. And then maybe we're trying to eat like birds and barely have any food. Our bodies are just really wonky. So how do you kind of help, um, I guess, have people see what they're doing maybe isn't as helpful as what we think, you know, we are, we think we're doing everything right. When really we got some things that we could adjust. How do you have people kind Mm. of open their eyes to that? Yeah. So I think it's, um, we, we, we get, we get stuck in our habits because they have been created to keep us safe. So, you know, when I coach women, it's about really taking things super slow. Like if somebody is so fearful of moving up from their 1,200 calorie diet, which you know, is, is a strange number that so many people land on. Like, this is what I need to aim for every day, which is not enough for anyone to be eating. Um, so, you know, on a consistent basis. So, you know, it's really about supporting them to a understand kind of where the path is and why, but then doing it in a very slow and steady way. So doing something like reverse dieting with them, where you're literally adding on, like 50 calories a week so that it doesn't feel overwhelming. They're checking their body and nothing's changed. They haven't put on any weight. Um, Cause there's, there's this real fear around, you know, changes to changes to body. And, you know, it's, it's, there, there's so much that's tied into that psychologically as well. So it's really doing these changes in a very safe and, and a way that isn't overwhelming. So, and it all depends on the, the person. You know, there's some people that are just gotten to a point where they're like, I feel so crap. I'm willing to, to do anything. And they're really not liking where their body is at. They know it's not working. So they can surrender. And, but it's still about, you know, doing one habit change at a time so that it's not overwhelming and they don't kind of fall off the wagon. So, you know, that's really the principle that I follow. But then for those other people, it's really about making them feel safe and giving them all the knowledge and the research and, you know, maybe showing them what somebody who's eating 2000 calories a day doing strength training looks like. Like that's not the picture of somebody that is overweight, unhealthy. You know, that could be the picture of radiant energy. So really showing them what these changes could mean for them, like not in a way to be jealous, but just, you know, this is really what we're working towards. This is health in this phase. You know, we want to build muscle. We want to, we can't be starving our body because it's only going to result in issues like further hormonal dysregulation, issues to our thyroid. There's this real cascade of events that happens when we, Add too much stress to the stress bucket from under eating, over exercising, um, you know, and all of the other stuff that we, you know, make too bit too much caffeine, too much alcohol, you know, all of those different things. Yeah, I think that's a, a thread I want to pull on next because I that's something that I've seen. People are talking more and more about it because I think coming off the last couple of years, the relationship with alcohol. And I think those perimenopause and a lot of my friends, you know, cause I'm right at the cusp of 40 and I have a lot of friends who are talking about like, oh, I've had to completely shift 
how much I can drink now because it just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same way as it did, you know, in my thirties and it affects me differently within my body with mentally sleep. So can you chat a little bit about maybe alcohol, if that could be something that could be, you know, kind of that thorn in people's sides, even just having maybe a couple nights, maybe Friday, Saturday night, people are having their drinks and not realizing that could be, you know, something that's causing that stress habit loop. Definitely. Because so just to kind of explain what happens when we drink alcohol. So alcohol, no matter how clean it is, no matter how low sugar it is, it's still a toxin. And so our bodies are really clever. They want to keep us safe. So your liver will metabolize the alcohol over the hormones just to get that out of your system. So then what happens is your body then recirculates the hormones. So whether it's cortisol, whether it's estrogen, so that can cause you to have more kind of estrogen dominant type of um, symptoms and can actually cause you to wake up in the middle of the night. Because if you have this recirculating cortisol, you're like waking up because you've got this like buzz again. Um, I'm sure people will resonate with, the, you know, the 3 a.m. wake up when you've had even just one drink. You know, and that's something that's that's happened to me as well, is that I pretty much you know I may have a drink every now and again like it's it's and it's always it's a it's a it's a really difficult thing to shift you know so I'm of South African descent and living in Australia and both of those cultures are very alcohol dominated and it actually can make people feel uncomfortable about their own choices when you abstain so it's a real journey to try and shift that as a habit because it you know you you, you know, you want everybody to be happy, but once again, it's, it goes back to the boundaries. Like what is serving my body um, and just making people feel comfortable with their choices. Like there's no judgment. So it's, it is a really tricky thing to shift, but often what I find with my clients is that until I draw to their attention that their sleep may be impacted, that they may wake up in the morning, even if it's just one drink, they may wake up in the morning feeling more tired, groggy, more irritable. And when they start to track, which is what I want all of my clients to do, to track their lifestyle habits, you know, in, a, in as manageable a way as possible, their cycle, their lifestyle habits, et cetera, so that they can get a feedback loop of, oh, interesting, I had two glasses of wine last night and I slept really badly and I was so short with my family in the morning. And so they can then start to, connect the dots and then realize, okay, so maybe that alcohol isn't serving me as well. It is, and if weight loss is an issue for people, it does also call, cause blood sugar dysregulation. So it does make the weight loss goal more difficult to achieve. Mm, yes. And that's also, can that also be related to like the people are like, oh, I can't lose anything on my midsection, everything's storing there. And maybe they're everything else is on point, but they're having wine every night. Yeah. And, and also, you know, so it is, a, it is a toxin. So it's adding to the toxic load, which is a stress on the body. Um, and toxins get stored around in our, in our belly fats as well. You know, another way to keep us safe because the liver can't clean everything out because we're exposed to so much. And then, you know, that that is also indicative of, you know, this extra hormonal weight where we are, erring more to the side of insulin resistance where we just you know our body can't utilize the glucose as well so you know we secrete more insulin and which is an anabolic 
hormone and then we just add on that just um sets down as belly fat so it's really so it's you know reducing your toxins um making sure that your bowels are working properly so that you're not recirculating hormones and toxins as well so like liver and gut needs to be working really well and then it's the nutrition the nutrition side of things so that you're not causing these massive glucose spikes and dips with the way you eat and so that all helps with the belly fat scenario and then the final pillar there is the resistance training so really focusing on building your muscles building your strength because if all you're doing are you know 45 minutes f45 sessions all these kind of moderate intensity runs that's what causes the chronic stress to the body and can actually result in the addition of belly fat rather than the loss of of belly fat yeah can you dive more into the the fitness side for the perimenopause and menopause years now should it look different from perimenopause to menopause or what do you kind of suggest on the fitness realm so the principles are the same in terms of what should be incorporated within a a fitness program so you know the top of the rungs I say strength training and, you know, so that is, you know, really going heavy weights, but it can take women a long time to get there because you want to do it in a very safe way. So it could take some women 10 years to be able to really lift super heavy weights because there's the underpinning skills of mobility and flexibility that needs to be um, worked on as well so that you can do it in a safe way. So those are really, really important aspects of any fitness regime for perimenopause and menopause. But with the hormonal shifts, women in perimenopause start to become more inflammatory. So how you incorporate, you know, the flexibility and the mobility and the and the uh, the, the rest, et cetera, is important so that we don't tax our bodies too much. And then we are in an even more inflammatory state in menopause so how you structure the exercise programs and how much kind of deload or rest you need um looks slightly different but the principles around building muscle not doing too much from a like not doing too much in the moderate intensity which is what i call the gray zone where you're not pushing your body taxing your body creating an intentional stress response uh, and you're not resting enough or doing like enough really low level activity because it's it's you kind of want the extremes you don't want the middle layer because that's just what causes stress on the body so you know the women who are who love you know the 10k runs and do those five or six times a week they're not going to be they're going to be stressing their body and they're not going to be achieving body transformation like body composition changes and with the hormonal shift, we lose muscle and our bones weaken. So the strength training to build our muscles and to support our bone strength is, is so, so important if we don't want to end up with osteoporosis. And, you know, being functionally mobile um, as we age is really important if, you, if your, you know, long-term goal is to be independent and to, you know, live independently and carry your own groceries and, you know, all of those good things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's super important because that's, I mean, I've worked with the senior population for 
many years now. And I had a gal who's 96 and still lifting her 10 pound weights in class. And so everyone's inspired by her. They're like, this is amazing. You know? And then when I tell that to clients who, you know, maybe are in their sixties and like, oh, these five pounds are really heavy. And I'm like, oh, you know, Hey, this is our goal. Got my 96 year old with her 10 pounds. They're kind of like, oh, okay. You know? Cause I think sometimes again, it's that reframe of like, oh, like I've been taught that like, again, I think I'm of the generation, I started lifting weights when I was 16. So I'm a weirdo because most of my friends came to me when I, I played three sports in college and we had to do the um, weight room. And so they would come to me because our weight room guy was very intimidating. I mean, looking back, I'm like, this is just not what you want to do because he intimidated all of the women. And so yeah. nobody felt comfortable in the weight room. Nobody wanted to go in there on their own because we didn't know how to do things and we were intimidated. So I think that does a disservice to women who are, you know, hey, yeah. let me learn how to do this. We could have learned, like people could have learned how to do it properly. So they would come to me because they're like, okay, you've been lifting for years. So I was trying to teach them. And then what I found is um, we're kind of that first generation that like got into weightlifting because my mom, like, I'm like, mom. And my mom was a discus thrower at Iowa State. So she is strong. And her, yeah. she had five pound weights at home. And I'm like, these are, these are, you are way stronger than this. And just teaching her, like, cause she didn't know, cause even though she was a D1 athlete, they didn't lift weights back then. And so for her, just teaching her, I'm like, you can lift heavier. You need to have heavier than 12 pound weights. She's moved up to 12. And I'm like, you still are stronger than this, you know? And she knows this and just being that permission or kind of giving that nudge to people too, I find, Um, you know, because my mom's in her late sixties now. And so of that generation, like she didn't learn. So she's kind of learning from me and kind of getting that push or even that permission, like, oh, I can lift heavy. Like I am strong. I am capable of doing these things. And without hurting myself, because she's had, she has the framework of many years of exercising and knows how to do it properly. And so that's kind of the, I think a lot of that push too, is of those like menopausal years of being like, yeah, I'm strong. I I got this. Yeah. And I love the concept of backcasting, which is think about your final decade. Like what age do you want to live to? And how do you want to be living? You know, if you want to live to your, your a hundred what does that image of yourself look like? Are you still traveling the world, carrying your own bag? You know, are you, are you still doing salsa dancing? If that's your passion, you know, are you, what, what horse riding, whatever it may be, because you want to be doing the things now to support you to get that because aging can happen quite quickly. What's happening now, it's happening as we sit here. Mm-hmm. It's happening because of all of the macro decisions that we make about what we put in our mouths, <clears throat> excuse me, our, our, the movement, you know, how we detox our systems, all of these different things add to how our bodies are aging. And it's really important to be making decisions now and to be structuring your habits to be able to support what you want your life to look like when you are 90, 100, whatever, you know, whatever age you want to live to. I like that. Do you have any tips for people who might be, because we're kind of in that instant gratification era. And so sometimes that future casting can be hard for people. They're like, Oh, well, I don't even know in 10 years, who knows where I'm going to be is, are there any tips for people to kind of sink in? Or like, you know, for me, I like to tell people like fixing your menstrual cycle now can really help you during menopause. Like you will have a smoother transition if you can start to fix it now. Is there anything like that, that you have for people to kind of help them kind of sink in and realize, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I don't need that instant gratification. Some of these habits might take me a year or two to really you know, get my teeth sunk into. So what I, excuse me. So what I recommend is, 
you know, so on those pillars that I spoke about, it's really like doing an, a self audit and, you know, figuring out, so where are you? So from the nutrition stand, standpoint, you know, do a food diary for a week or two weeks and have a look at your, your patterns. Are you eating enough protein? You know, protein is so important for us. So we want 30 grams at each meal. Have a look at where are you? Like, are you having Cheerios for breakfast with, you know, cow's milk, you know, which is just such a massive sugar hit. And then you snacking all day. You know, we really want to be thinking about meal spacing, you know, appropriate amount of intermittent fasting aligned to our cycle. Like what, and do you have um, reliance on food from an emotional standpoint? Are you eating because you need comfort, you stressed, you bored, like whatever it may be, because those are all things that then need to be fixed. So it's thinking about, well, what are my low hanging fruit? What can I change now? Like maybe it's just the protein for breakfast. Okay. So let's work on a breakfast with 30 grams of protein in the morning, a lunch with 30 grams of protein and a, a dinner with 30 grams of protein. And that's your step one, because we need this we need this positive feedback loop that we're making changes and something like that, that person is going to feel satiated. They're not going to feel as much the need for snacking. They're not going to have the blood sugar spikes and dips and feel irritable and have, you know, the two o'clock crash. They're going to get that positive feedback loop from that first change. And then it's easier to then make the second change. So then it's like, okay, well, let me see what was the next thing on the nutrition list that I need to change. Okay. Um, you know, I recommend my clients to do, to have, try and incorporate 30 different plant foods into their diet in a week. So that would be fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, herbs, oils, etc. So, how can you, so that's really important from a gut health perspective. So let me focus on that as my next um, goal. So it's really just breaking it down, you know, so that's the nutrition pillar. Let's focus on that because often the nutrition side of things is really what's going to start the weight loss, the improvement in energy. And that's what you need sometimes to be able to then focus on the movement and then to be able to you know adjust your daily routines to get up that bit earlier to maybe do a morning practice that includes meditation journaling you know maybe some sun gazing and you know so it's really what is the thing that's going to kind of unlock the door to all of these other things so that you have the energy to do them so, you know, and each person's different, you know, if somebody is in, is in an incredibly stressed state, perhaps focusing on the stress pillar as the starting point to optimize their daily routines in a way that's manageable is where they need to begin. So it's all, you know, it's all very client dependent, but once they know what the pillars are, they can then start to figure out, okay, so what, what am I capable of doing today? to make my first change. I like those. I mean, I think that's super helpful. And, you know, going to the pillar that you feel called to start with, you know, and that's a great yeah. way rather than being like, okay, 
stress, maybe thinking about stress stresses you out. So you don't start there, you know, start with one of the low hanging fruit where you're like, Oh, okay. I think I could do that breakfast thing. Let me get some protein in that and start there. I like that easy to follow habit for people. So rather than going for, I always like the easier win to start too. And then we'll tackle that when we're ready. And when we feel like we got some wins under our belt. Definitely. You know, and it's like tiny habits. It's about how do you, if this is what you want to change, how do you add that new habit into your existing, your existing routine so that it's less of like a mind, like less of of an additional thing to think about. So, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the, um, you know, the protein, you're always going to do breakfast. So, you know, or maybe you don't, but you know, if you've got a family, you do breakfast for them. So, you know, maybe having a little note on the kitchen to say protein nourishes me. And, you know, so that that's your cue to, okay, I'm going to give myself protein for breakfast. Yeah. And then that comes in with your, with your tracking too, because then people can kind of feel like, oh, I had protein. You don't usually, and you know what? I'm not hungry at 11 o'clock. Like I usually am starving. I actually don't need, I can wait until lunch. So I think that's also some good things to track. I know I did that when I started doing more protein for breakfast. Well, mostly during this pregnancy, I was like, okay, like I am not, and I'm still trying to follow my Ayurvedic practices and principles around, you know, nutrition. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I need more protein though right now. Cause I'm, my body just needs that. Otherwise I'm starving it. before lunch. <laughs> and so I played with that too and making those tweaks. And I found this week I'd switched it out as we're recording this and I, I did like an oatmeal bake and I'm like, nope, this isn't going to cut it. Cause I'm like, there's just not enough protein in that to make mm. it to lunch for me. I need to go back to what I was doing with my egg sandwich and having some veggies on the side and some fruit. And I had a little bit more, you know, breakfast that was going to satisfy me. And so that's, I think a great tip too, of your, you know, as you had talked about is just tracking and noticing, because then once people kind of really put pen to paper, they're like, Oh, I didn't realize that this is actually is working or this, you know, these little tips, they do do something, you know, cause sometimes we just get such an autopilot that we, we forget to notice the the principles that we're doing or the new practices. Oh, they work. Exactly. And, and forget to celebrate the, the wins. Yeah. You know, I so often find that my clients are so hard on themselves and it's really about, you know, drawing to their attention, look how far you have come you know, like, look, look at the changes we have made and how you're feeling. When we started together, this was happening um, because they just lose sight. They're like, oh, well, I still want to feel better. But I'm like, yes, but let's celebrate how far you have come because it's a journey. It's a journey. And as long as you are growing and you are moving forward and you have a clear idea of where you want to be and where you want to go, that's the most important thing and accepting where you are today like just self-love self-compassion and knowing where you want to go Mm, I love that uh well Cheryl I would love to know if people want to connect with you where can they find you what's your website social media that you hang out on yes so my website so my the name of my voice is your my my voice my business (laughs) is your tiny voice and so because it's all about tapping into your intuition so that's really you know how that was birthed um and so my website is ytvhealthcoaching.com i'm on instagram at your tiny voice and facebook at ytvhealthcoaching.com um so yes that's how people can get hold of me and i offer 
free discovery calls for anybody who's interested in just understanding a little bit more about where they're at and, you know, kind of just getting a bit of a path forward. I can love to connect with anybody who's wants to invest in their own, own health for a complimentary call. Um, and I've, I've partnered with a, a, a exercise physiologist and we've created just an online program that covers nutrition movement. So she goes deep on the movement side of things with some really powerful tools for women to be able to achieve their fitness goals in perimenopause. Um, and then, then there's um, a section on the stress pillar as well. So that's a really nice way for people just to dip their toe into the space um, in a self-paced course. And that's called Shapeshifters. Perfect. And that's on your website too? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right. I'll make sure I have that all linked up for everyone. Well, I just have one final question for you. I always like to finish with the weekly challenge to the listeners. And then when I have a guest on, I have you throw the challenge out. So what would you like that challenge to be for everyone this week? So I would like everybody, if you are not doing it already, to track your cycle and your symptoms. So for women in you know later perimenopause, things may be a little bit wonky, but it's really important for you to kind of track, oh, interesting, I'm 27 days this month and last month I was, you know, 35 days. What is there anything that I did differently? differently um you know it, it may just be a nature of where you are but it's it is you know was there extra stress so it's really tracking your cycle and then also your symptoms so you know did you ovulate this month did you feel the ovulation twinges did you see the mucus change um because having ovulatory events is what you want in perimenopause and so it's, it's good to get that feedback that you have ovulated um, and then also tracking your lifestyle factors. And this may seem quite overwhelming and there's a lot of stuff to do, but if you know, maybe it's just the things that gut feel aren't working for you. So whether that is, you know, gluten or alcohol or, you know, tracking your sleep, how, how, what has impacted your sleep so that you can start to create these, these data points because we forget what we do every day. And without this kind of clear idea of what's working and what's not working, you're not going to be able to make intentional action to be able to shift your experience in perimenopause. You know, so one of my biggest asks of women is to become the CEO of their health. So to not outsource their health outcomes to anybody else. Obviously, we need to partner with GPs, you know, potentially health coaches, chiropractors, but you've lived in your body for X number of years, you know your body the most. And it's about using the tracking to reconnect with your body and the symptoms and trying to get back to that intuitive place of, okay, so this, this is not working or this is working for me. Love that. I love that. Great message. And I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Cheryl, and sharing all of your wisdom with us. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone. And go out there and spread your peaceful power. <laughs>